Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and physical therapy pearls of wisdom to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is really to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. So people keep dropping into my DMs because I shared something about toe separators a while ago, and I need to put the link up just permanently. But these are really flexible toe spacers. So I always said, just put your socks between your toes. You know, it's a great resource to just be able to at least put something between them. But if you really want to actually have something that's going to rest between your toes, you don't need to wear it for very long, like 10 minutes a day, and you're going to start noticing a difference. And it's not so aggressive. So I've worn other toe spacers that are very popular that are really aggressive, not as flexible and not as comfortable. But Naboso, their toe splay actually feels incredible. And they gave us a 20% discount for you, which is really incredible. So if you just use code OPTIMAL, and you can go check out all of their products. They've got balls, they have socks. So we did a podcast with Emily Spickle. She's a podiatrist. So It's not just us as physical therapists now saying this. It's really cool to have a podiatrist who's actually coming out with these products and really helping people functionally move better within their feet. Um, I mean, go listen to that podcast if you want to, but please go check out Naboso. We're going to drop the link in the show notes so you can easily get to it and then use code OPTIMAL at checkout to get any of the products that you want, but specifically at least get the toast play, start wearing it five to 10 minutes a night and start to notice a difference in your feet. Next up to interview, we have Dr. Carrie Pagliano, who has been a dynamic leader in the areas of women's and pelvic health for over 20 years. Dr. Pagliano received her master's in physical therapy from the University of Sciences in Philadelphia and her doctorate in physical therapy from the University of St. Augustine for health sciences in 2007. She's also a double board certified clinical specialist in orthopedics and women's health. She's an adjunct professor at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia and Lynchburg University. She also served as the instructor of clinical rehabilitation medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine. Dr. Pagliano is a certified running coach through the Road Runners Club of America, as well as a level one CrossFit certified coach. Dr. Pagliano speaks internationally in the areas of postpartum return to sport and integrative models of practice in pelvic physical therapy. She's a national media spokesperson for the APTA. Dr. Pagliano is founder of Carrie Pagliano Physical Therapy LLC in Arlington, Virginia, and the Real Mom's Guide to Postpartum Digital Course Series for Moms and Postpartum Professionals. She is the host of the Active Moms Postpartum Podcast, and when she's not kid wrangling or bringing pelvic health to the world, Carrie is an avid runner, yogi, and crossfitter. So excited for this, especially because Carrie is a personal mentor of mine and someone that both Jen and I have known for a while. We can't wait to share with you what she has to bring. Uh, Carrie, super excited to have you on. I, I love these types of podcasts where you know I get to have somebody on who I have considered a mentor of mine and someone I've learned from since the time I was a student and really have respected because you are doing the things and showing up in all areas of life, in business, in the organization, in family. And so really excited to have you on today. 
Thank you so much. I feel like it's like coming back home because I've known you so long and then I've known you both since the very infancy of your relationship, which is super cool. So crazy. You were there. I was there when. You were there at the moment. (laughs) So exciting. Um, Also, I just like, I want to hear kind of the journey because you've now been in like the women's health space, pelvic health for over 20 years. That makes me sound really old. (laughs) (laughs) You started doing it when you were eight. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's it. I I like how you think dumb. Yeah, no, I I, it's 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 funny because this was never part of the plan. Um, Mm. You know, I think a lot of us that wanted to go into PT, we want to help people. And what I knew in school was that I wanted to be really good at what I did. And I was thinking about, you know, stroke and spinal cord and all that kind of stuff. And when I graduated, um, it was like when this big managed care thing was going on and there was 100% placement and the year I graduated, it tanked. And so only six of us in my class of 60 had jobs. So I kind of like the plan was kind of scratched from the beginning. Um, and I even tossed around med school, like a whole bunch of things and, um, really sort of fell into pelvic health. I, I, um, got offered a job in Washington DC, which is where I live now doing pelvic health. I didn't know what it is, but I I was like, all right, I'm, I'm game just because it's a job at that point. And my poor mentor, she put up with, you know, 20, to 23 year old me. I was like, all right, this is fine. And I really was doing pelvic health very differently from orthopedics, which I kind of started to, to do more of. And it's at some point, eventually a very long story short, I realized um, that they really shouldn't be separate. I joke around that, that pelvic health is, is orthopedics in a warm, dark place because we get to do all the things we get to do ortho, we get to do like neuro, we do pain, all sorts of things. And there's so little research. Um, and it's a lot better now than it was 20 years ago. But you're really, you get to be groundbreaking and, you know, generate ideas and just that kind of stuff is, it, it just lights me up. And what I did not anticipate was that becoming very personal. And so my kids are now, um, eight and 11. And I walked into pregnancy thinking I knew all things. And I would have, you know, the picture perfect pregnancy laminated my birth plan, the whole thing. Um, My kids never read it. And I walked out on the other side with all the things that I basically treated in my professional life, Mm -hmm. sitting there wondering what the hell just happened. And so it was a matter of, okay, well, if everything that I had learned to that point, I tried to put it into practice and it wasn't giving me the results that I was looking for, I had to do one of two things. I either had to, to, to throw it out and start over or basically, you know, deny that everything that I knew was, was you know, correct. Wow. And so it, it literally was just kind of starting from scratch and saying, all right, well, what do we actually know? And what am I experiencing and where are my deficits and where are my gaps? And so really just getting humble and curious. And that's really, I think, what's what's made this so special for me is how many times do you get a chance to relate so viscerally, so primally with your clients that, you know what, I, I, I have peed my pants during a run. I have had abdominal separation and wondered if my guts were going to spew out and if I ever could be strong again. You know, that feeling of pelvic organ prolapse, like none of these things, like you really can't understand what they are until you've experienced them. And so 
I consider it, you know, to some degree a blessing to be able to have that um, experience and then be able to use my voice in as a professional. So instead of just saying to people, you should do this, I'd be like, well, you know, these are the things that can go on. And I understand where you're coming from because I've experienced this. So there's not a clear answer for it, but I'm here to help you find that. And we can do that together. Um, so instead of dictating care, collaborating with care. So in a nutshell, didn't plan on this in the slightest. <laughs> I mean, I love this whole journey. And I hope that every physical therapist gets to look at the collaborative participation in <laughs> or every Absolutely. clinician, every, you know, no matter what field you're in, it's it's not never supposed to be a dictatorship of, but that's what we've kind of taught people. We've taught people to just yeah. blindly listen and trust without asking deeper questions or really feeling the difference. My goodness, I couldn't even imagine being in that position where you think you have all the tools, <laughs> you know, right. I, I know all the things I teach this, I do this. And then coming out on the other side, where are you now that you've kind of <laughs> where gone am through I a, now? Lot, a lot of that? <laughs> well, with my kids being a little older, now I'm having to learn about perimenopause, which mm -hmm. apparently is supposed to be coming soon. But um, I mean, for me, the the big shift that I was able to make, um, and then uh, I had hip surgery 15 years ago um, at FAI, um, way before it was cool, like way before Lady Gaga, and um, <laughs> who was the baseball player? He was really hot. Um, <laughs> I can't remember. You know who I'm talking about. He, he Wasn't he like, he was with J-Lo? What's his name? Oh, Alex Rodriguez. A-Rod, yes. Way before these guys. So, like, I was OG Doing FAI surgery. <laughs> <laughs> so, I made it cool. Um, so, I had a lot of things kind of trying to pull together. And the nice thing is around this time taking this journey, there's been a huge rise in interest in female athlete return to sport. And I've been a runner my whole life. Um, there's been a lot of research looking at adding load and resistance. Um, and I was uh, able to, to meet, and I think, um, Jen, you met and, and worked with Anthony Lowe before mm -hmm. too, um, and turned me on to CrossFit. And that's actually a huge part of the population that I work with now. Um, and just understanding getting strong and feeling strong. And um, ironically, that's something that for a very long time, doctors have poo-pooed, you know, they're, they're like, you know, you shouldn't run during pregnancy, you shouldn't lift heavy, you shouldn't do all these things. Um, I'm not good with just being told what to do and accepting it. Yeah. Um, so it's been fun to be in already kind of uh, organically in those areas and like, all right, well, try me. I, I you know, if, if you tell me not to do it, clearly there's people doing it. Mm. How mm. is it they're able to do it? Um, I want to understand that more. I want to be able to kind of learn from that more. So um, do I have issues from time to time? Sure, absolutely. Like throw a, a good two-year pandemic into it and a girl's going to have some overactive pelvic floor and some leakage mm -hmm. every once in a while. Mm -hmm. But in general, like, honestly, I've never felt stronger. Um, I've Symptom-wise, when I do have symptoms, I understand why mine are somewhat cyclic related and some people don't realize that you can have things that, you know, ebb and flow with hormones and, and just kind of understanding that a little bit more. But in general, like it's, I'm continuing to learn, but I feel really good in my body right now, which I, mm. I don't know that we think about that in our twenties, what we want to feel like, you know, when we're 45, but 
um, I'm happy with where I'm at, which is which is pretty cool. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, pretty cool and almost like one of the most vital aspects of our health. Like, are yeah. we happy? Do we feel fulfilled and purposeful right. in what we are doing? Outside of that, the, the symptoms that may ebb and flow and come in and out are manageable because we are feeling happy and fulfilled. But if you are somebody who's a runner or a lifter and you know, suddenly you go through this experience of childbirth and you you get out on the other end and you feel unable to do any of these things that make you right. feel that happiness and joy in movement. Um, it can be pretty crippling and debilitating, literally and emotionally. And um, I just kind of want to start dicing that apart a little bit. Like, like yeah. what does a, a return after a pregnancy journey to doing heavy lifting or to running look like for someone? Sure. So, I mean, I, I think you hit on such an important thing. One is expectations and two is identity. That's the very, very first question when I sit down with somebody who's coming in is like, what were your expectations? You know, let's say I'm sitting down with them postpartum. What were your expectations about how this was all going to look? Mm-hmm. How was your pregnancy compared to what you thought it would be? How about your delivery? How about your postpartum? Because nine times out of 10, again, being a PT, you get a biased data set. Chances are they're not there because things went really well, although more Mm. people are, are, you know, coming preventatively. So understanding how important um, that activity is, understanding how much of their identity it is. It's not just exercise to some people. Like if I have someone, I had a client come last month she, I, I see a lot of people for second opinions, and she had gone to a PT because she had a diagnosis of prolapse. Um, she had started running at three and a half weeks postpartum with her second. Um, that's a bit sooner than than you know, a bit sooner than we'd like. I mean, ideally, you're at seventy five percent healing by six weeks. Ideally, a little bit closer to twelve weeks. But again, like depending on what's going on, we can ebb and flow there. But um, she went into a hospital-based clinic and the PT said, oh, you have prolapse, handed her a pre, you know, one of those programs yep. that it spits out automatic, you know, home mm-hmm. programs mm-hmm. and told her you shouldn't be doing impact, you shouldn't be doing running. Meanwhile, she was completely asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. And so she comes to me and she's like, are you going to tell me not to run? I'm like, you're, you're seven, eight weeks, you're not showing any symptoms. You're handling this just fine. This is not your first rodeo. Why in God's name are we taking that from you? I mean, if if you feel at three and a half weeks that and I did not, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that one out there for what it is. I did not with neither with with both of mine. Um, some moms, if they're choosing to do that and they're not symptomatic and they're not showing, you know, heaviness, pressure, or pain, if they're doing it for mental health reasons. You know, that has to be part of the conversation. Like, and, and it goes back to why, what is this as part of your identity? Um, and so, again, to expectations, how did things go? How is this, you know, how, how does running, how does lifting play into your life? We need to consider that because that may alter, you know, our decision making. Um, as far as when it's okay to start. I mean, we, we still want to watch out for the red flags and the yellow flags and the, the things that might be scary. But if I have a mom that she's like, yeah, you know, once a week, that's what I want to be able to do versus that mom that's like, if I don't get out every day, someone's going to die. <laughs> um, that's a very different situation. And so I, that's where the return to run, it really starts with that 
person in front of you. What's the severity, yes, of what we're seeing from a medical perspective, but how does this all play in? What is what does it look like? How are the expectations being handled? Do we need to pull in other resources um, like counseling or or delegation of other things to make sure that they can get back to that? And then once we we kind of get a sense of resources, what the priorities are, and that sort of thing, you know, it'll be looking at the basics. Um, and a screening for readiness to run will look at balance. It will look at uh, impact management and will look at strength. Not that you're at a you know prime level, but are you at a baseline that would stand to reason that we wouldn't be setting ourselves up for um, symptoms right off the bat? And then from there, it's setting up a progression, um, typically starting with a run-walk um, and then any additional exercises that we need to kind of fill those gaps that come up. And this is where I, I get a bee in my bonnet because um, PTs were really bad at giving like CVS receipt length lists of exercises. Mm-hmm. And then when moms don't do them, we tell them we're non-compliant, mm. um, which is, <laughs> it's bad. Like, And so... My, my rule is how little do you need to do so no one dies? Like that's mom 101. Like how little do we need to do so that you're hitting the deficits, but you're doing the activities you enjoy? So let's say if you're a runner, you also do beach body. Well, can we take the strategies that you need to um, help with pressure management, you know, to access your pelvic floor, your deep abs more? Can we take those strategies and apply it to your beach body workout that I know you already know and love and we don't have to create a new habit? Um And then how do we look at getting back to running, not just as this blank slate of, hey, go run and see how it goes. But I love to make sure we get a solid baseline by undershooting. So a lot of women end up getting in trouble. They'll go out and, you know, run three miles and be like, oh, that felt totally great. And then the next time they go out half a mile in, something doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. So I'll start with, okay, just really simple. Let's do a very clear walking warm up, very clear walking cool down. But let's start with a very clear ratio, um, maybe like a one minute uh, run, four minute walk. We'll repeat that four times. So we've got, you know, a, a good solid workout. And then we do that same ratio three times. And the reason I do that is so it's not a fluke. It's Mm. not, hey, that was great. Next time we got to kick it up. Like we just don't know because there's so many factors like hormone levels, breastfeeding, how much did you sleep last night? How's your nutrition? All of these things. And we need to build confidence, especially if there's worry about prolapse or leakage or or pelvic pain or things like that. We want to build, we want to get successful kind of reps under our belt. And because moms need to know that they can rely on their bodies, especially if that question has come up that 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 body may have failed them. Mm. Um, So I'm all about low hanging fruit, easy stuff, easy wins, manageable. If it's not working, you come back and tell me. And part of my job is to help you figure that out. It's not you to guilt yourself because you couldn't get to it. Yeah, I mean... That's so huge. Building it into someone's current life plan, what they're already doing, especially as a mom, you know, with super limited time and especially as an early mom. I mean, you're you're seeing people that are still very much in the early stages. Now, if someone isn't, it's interesting, you know, that she had prolapse, but she wasn't having any symptoms. Yep. Um, 
why would she have gone into PT in the first place? Because I feel like most people don't even go into seek a pelvic floor therapist unless they're having symptoms. And even then, sometimes it's like, oh, well, that's just normal. Exactly. And and prolapse is, is, is a tricky one, I'll be honest with you. So I think in this particular situation, I think it was a very casual OB saying, oh, you have prolapse, go see a PT. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it started very well-intentioned yeah, and then just took a hard turn in the wrong direction. Mm. But with, with prolapse, and that's what I get the most DMs about from moms literally all over the world. It's confusing because typically we equate um, what we're feeling with severity. Mm-hmm. And this is where... Um, there's a lot of crossover um, and kind of, I'll be honest, I've kind of bastardized a lot of stuff that I've learned from, I used to work a lot with chronic pain and what we understand about the brain. And so with pelvic organ prolapse, if, if you don't know what it is, it's basically the organ starting to descend out of your body. And so it, as far as females go, we've got you know options of the bladder, you've got the uterus, you've got the rectum, you can have any combination of those. Um, and to some degree, it can be quite normal. And women who don't have, they've never had kids, they can have some degree of prolapse. It's not something that's, um, you know, solely a birth related thing. You can have it if you had a C-section. I mean, I I had two C-sections and and had some issues because you're still carrying a baby for nine months. If you do a lot of lifting, um, that sort of thing, it can come up. But I think the thing that we've started to learn a little bit more is severity doesn't equal the grade. So when you get it measured, um, and the true measurement that that's in the research is called this this POPQ test. So it's it's measuring kind of where an organ is placement wise and how much it moves. Um, I can have um, a woman come in and I can examine them you know, practically standing on their head, you know, they're, they're in standing, they're in any position, and I don't see a darn thing that's really measurable, but they are aware of it all the time. They feel mm. it. It feels almost like a tampon's dangling or there's a little bit of pressure or things like that. But then I, I can very distinctly remember this one client I had. It was, it was, it, I, I didn't really think much of it. She's telling me, oh, you know, I, 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 I need to come for prolapse. Didn't think anything. She hops up on the table. I lift up the sheet and it's literally like a rutabaga is sitting on the table. Wow. Um, And the Mm. only reason she had noticed was the organ had descended to the point that when she was wiping um, after toileting, the, I think it was her bladder or rectum, I can't remember, was chafing on her underwear and there was blood, but she didn't sense it at all. And Mm. so that's, I think, if you're not kind of working in these areas of medicine, it's really confusing to think that something could be there and you're, and you didn't sense it. Right. Um, mm. I think we're very much taught that if we feel something, something must be wrong. Um, and then we're also kind of taught that things need to be fixed. Um, and so where we're starting to look at this is like, okay, well, your brain is clearly paying attention and giving you some information about something that's going on down here. And if you think about that part of your body, okay, you've got peeing and pooping, but you've got sex and childbirth, like very two, very distinct ends of the spectrum from a pain pleasure <laughs> sense, you know? Um, but lots of times it's like, okay, 
there's not much going on, but there's a lot of sensitivity. And so it's not a matter of we need to move an organ because I can't do that. Like it's, it's just not a thing. But do we need to desensitize and reteach your brain that this is okay, that this is safe, that this is not a big deal? Don't, you know, and, and that's hard to kind of wrap people's head around when they're like, if I sense something, something must be wrong. And then they look and then they've never looked before. And if you've never looked before and the first time you look is after you have a baby, that's a little funky too. And that may not be a safe experience for their brain and that might heighten things even more. So Mm. sometimes we have to desensitize and then sometimes it's a matter of, okay, we need to look at pressure management and make sure there's not a lot of pressure pushing down. But that's a pretty broad spectrum of things to try and explain to somebody that they've never had any sense of this before. And then all of a sudden they're given this diagnosis and they go on Dr. Google and there's some crazy stuff out there. That's the one that I think heightens the fear the most because who wants to hear that there's an organ descending outside their body? Yeah. Um, No one. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I just, I mean, I think many professionals, many health professionals go through something like this where, I mean, kind of like you said at the beginning of your story, you think you know everything, you think you're in the field, you're going to know if something's going on with your body. Uh, But once you start experiencing it, this was kind of me and my, like my concussion journey, like how in the dark I was when I started having concussion issues, like, and I'm in the field and the amount of compassion I feel like that starts to give a professional who once you experience it yourself, hey, I'm in the field and I had no clue what the heck was going on with my body. Exactly. How can we expect, you know, the average and, you know, general public to always know what's going on and to be like, you've had this for two years. Why haven't you been coming in? You know, like, so that's, that's so interesting that that you bring that up. And I kind of wanted to ask a, a little bit about, you know, coming up into pregnancy or people who are wanting to Mm -hmm. become pregnant or thinking about having a child, are there things that you can do to set yourself up for for success, whether it is exercise or whether it is seeing a certain person, like what would you recommend? Well, and and that's the one that I I wish all of this was a lot cleaner. Um, It's not though. I mean, I, I, I get asked all the time, what can I do to prevent things? And Give the me short the five answer, step, the five step list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right, exactly. Like if you want, <laughs> like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. And, and, and you know, and, and I think this brings about a, g- a good point before we kind of dive into that piece is um, we don't know everything. Mm. We barely are, are scratching the edge on this stuff. And some people think that that's horrible. I think it's exciting because just seeing, you know, how much has changed in the last 20 years. But I had more freedom when I finally felt comfortable saying to patients, I don't know. Like, this is my guess. This is my thought based upon my experience, what you're telling me. Um, Let's figure this out and see what works for you. But I don't have the answers. But as as far as your, your question and what we can do ahead of time, there's no five-step list of if you do X, Y, and Z, you'll keep yourself from having these things. And that that's very much what I thought was going to happen. I was going to run through my entire pregnancy and practically run into the delivery room and I laminated my birth plan and I was going to prevent all the things. And the fact of the matter is the day you conceive is the day you start to lose control. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of things that we still don't understand why some people have prolapse, why some people have residual 
abdominal separation, why some people have leakage. It's a lot of things that are complex. It's this complex recipe, this cocktail. But what I do think that we can do is we can start having these conversations ahead of time so that people don't feel blindsided. Um, I think we do a disservice when we tell people and when we sell programs that say, if you do A, B, and C, you'll prevent X, Y, and Z, when the fact of the matter is we don't have any data to support that. Mm-hmm. We are getting more information on prolapse that says that if your mother or your grandmother had prolapse, you may be more likely to have it. So what I'm starting to see now are women my age that their moms are getting their prolapses addressed or had in the past. And those surgeons are now telling the daughters, you should go get this checked. So that I think is incredibly helpful to have those conversations with your family members, if you can, at least start that conversation. And this for me has been very poignant having my own daughter. I didn't have a ton of anatomy knowledge. I didn't, you know, my sex talk was, you know, birth control doesn't prevent STDs, right? Like (laughs) that's what I got. Um, And so how do I educate my daughter from the very beginning to look at her body now, understand what it looks like, understand when her urethra hurts versus her vulva or know what her labia is, um, those sorts of things, so that the first time she's looking at her body isn't after she's had a vaginal delivery and an eight-pound kid just came through, you know? Mm. Um, So, I think you know, it goes back to educating very early on. But if you're, you know, if, if, if that if that ship has already sailed and we're, we're, we're thinking about babies, it's, you know, find those vetted resources that are going to, to, to be honest with you and not try and sell you, you can prevent A, B, and C. Um, or I've got a program that says you can run through your entire pregnancy. Guess what? We don't know. I mean, I got to 19 weeks and I, I was out for a run that I literally stopped like every 100 feet for. I sat down on a rock next to the Potomac, called my husband, and that was the last day I ran <laughs> um, until after he was born. So I, th- I think the other thing that we need to educate about is that pregnancy safe is not necessarily... Um, True. And I I say that in that if you weren't a CrossFitter, you would probably think that CrossFitting in pregnancy wasn't safe because you don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. Just like if you weren't a runner, you wouldn't know that, you know, running is safe. I think it's important to, if you are in a sport, if you're doing HIIT training, if you're doing um, MMA, like whatever that looks like, um, we've got more women now more active than they've ever been. How do we scale? How do we put our athlete ego minds aside and remember that, you know, this is such a short thing. It doesn't matter if you can't, you know, squat snatch the day before (laughs) you delivered. Like there's, there's no race and there's no trophy, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, It's, it's such a blip. Um, so I think the more that we can put ourselves in spaces where it's normal to talk about scaling and modifications and, you know, if you do notice coning or doming, don't freak out. It's, you know, that's not, you're not ruined for forever. If you, if you do have leakage, um, then we need to start having the conversation. So we're prepared for early 
um, follow-up postpartum. And I'm seeing more of that. Um, I'm seeing more women that are coming in to meet me um, and to have a prenatal check and talk about birthing positions and um, you know all of their options. And then that sets us up for a postpartum visit. Usually we do one three to four weeks postpartum. So before that six-week visit, because there is so much to talk about. Um, so in that respect, um, it's not so much prevention in that I can promise you, you won't have these things go on, but I can promise you, you're not going to be blindsided. That's huge. Um, and I hope that people can start to look at their access, potentially, that there could be around them to pelvic floor um, physical yep. therapy and getting in possibly during you know, hopefully during pregnancy so that they have a setup and a meeting three to four weeks after because I the only thing we're told right now is to go back and see the doctor six weeks after. But I there's know. so much in between that could be going on to help support what you're going to do afterwards. And I love exactly. this concept that you brought up too of um, scaling. Can we talk about that? For a little bit, yeah. just because understanding, like, does that mean in different trimesters you're talking about mm-hmm. scaling? Like, what does that really look like for someone yeah. who is going out and working out at a gym or, or CrossFit, um, yep. doing some heavy lifting? Well, and, and this is where I'm I'm controversially going to throw my profession under the bus a little bit. And I feel like I've earned it after this long. <laughs> um, there's a lot of PTs that... Um, aren't great at this and um, are not good at exercise dosing, are not good at exercise progression, are not good at scaling. And that's where I think we underutilize our colleagues in coaching and training. Um, And I have been really fortunate enough to be able to collaborate and and work with um, some phenomenal um, pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coaches. I know you guys know Brie Battles. You know, just because that that strength and conditioning education is so clutch. Um, So I think unless you're in that world, the scaling doesn't necessarily make sense or the modification doesn't make sense. And so trimester by trimester, it can vary between, you know, first trimester, you feel like trash and you're throwing up all the time and you really don't feel like doing anything. Um, that's a pretty easy scale because chances are you typically (laughs) won't do anything. Um, Two, hey, you're feeling good, um, but let's talk about pressure management. Let's let's learn what coning and doming looks like with overhead activities or gymnastics moves or things like that and learn to, to scale, not because that's wrong, but because pressure is kind of taking the path of least resistance. Um, let's dial it back just for this short period of time because these tissues are really kind of working beyond their normal length. And again, it's such a brief period of time. It's really not worth, um, you know, kind of over, over challenging them. Um, and I think some people, they think about scaling simply as reducing the weight mm-hmm. Um but I think when you're doing barbell stuff, bar path, you know, when people t- want to continue, some people don't do overhead barbell stuff or cleans or things like that in pregnancy because they don't want to bump the belly, which I, I totally get. And 
I, full full disclosure, I did not start CrossFit until I was four years postpartum. So I, I, I don't have experience with that. But what I do see is it's really tough once you do a funky bar path in pregnancy. You've got to go back and relearn that bar path again postpartum with that belly not there. So mm. um, just learning motor patterns again, like learning what that movement looks like again. Um, I think people are really comfortable with scaling things like going from a full plank down to like a plank on the knees or, or something like that. People are very comfortable with that, but maybe not so comfortable with continuing to do things that are a little bit more complex Olympic lifts cleaning up the bar path a little bit, not necessarily going super heavy, but, you know, how do we modify these things down a little bit or even just take them, you know, how, how do we take the bar away and do something similar, but on like a TRX or something against the wall or a dumbbell or something along those lines. And that's where I think our strength and conditioning colleagues are clutch. They're so good at this. And really, you know, in, in going back to accessibility, I I never want women to think that because they don't have pelvic floor PT as a resource um, for whatever reason, I don't want them to think that they're automatically set up to fail. And that's where, again, we we need to get out of our, our own way here and, and really just you know, make sure that there are resources, whether it's at your local gym or your coach, or you can hop on Instagram and kind of understand things a little bit more. Um, I came from a very rural area in upstate New York and our closest, you know, major medical center was, was 70 miles away. Mm -hmm. Like that wouldn't have been a possibility for me. So making sure that if you've got good broadband, like you've got accessibility to some information so that you don't feel like you're hung out to dry. So again, that's where I think our strength and conditioning colleagues just do such a great job. Um, For those of you that that follow the CrossFit Open, I've got a bunch of friends that do some great modifications for those workouts for the Open that are um, for those women that still want to kind of do these things and still want to compete, but just need to temporarily back it down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So once again, you're you're breaking all the rules uh, and saying that we need to collaborate with other professions. <laughs> I know I'm going uh, to hell, right? It's crazy, crazy talk. <laughs> no, I, and that's again what I appreciate, and I've always, since the beginning of getting in PT, I've I've never been a fan of these turf battles, whether it's between <laughs> PT and Cairo or PT and athletic trainers or PT yeah. and strength and conditioning. I'm like, there's there's a place for all of us. There's enough people in pain and enough people looking for help in all of these areas <laughs> that exactly. we need to work on making exactly. things more accessible to people rather than trying to fight each other <laughs> for a piece of a proverbial pie. And so, no, I appreciate yeah. you bringing that up because even in my own <laughs> PT class, like I, I remember people like struggling with basic squat or push-up patterns. And I'm like, and then we graduate and we're supposed to be the authority in modifying these for people with advanced conditions. Like... I, I don't. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I think we need to call in some help here. So, um, a, a thing you've brought up a few times now is, is leakage and leaking. Yep. And I, I know just even from chatting with friends of Jen's who you know may have had kids or something, or hearing yep. Jen talk about the stroller or Jen's sister talk about the stroller strides. You know, group she's yeah. in. And people come to stroller strides and say like, "Oh yeah, I, I wet myself a little bit," and just like the the verbiage that people use around oh that's normal like don't worry about it or well welcome to the p club and it just like no and i I want you to speak a little bit to that like oh it's it's normal to pee yourself after your pregnancy like what do you what do you say to that 
Yeah. Um, well, the funny thing about that is um, of all the things that I see, that's typically not the complaint that people come with, but the one we end up treating. So mm-hmm. I'll get more moms that come for diastasis recti, which most people, I joke around that 95% of women in the DMV think that they have it and they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my gateway diagnosis. So you may come to me for that. I'll be like Oprah and give all your core exercises back to you, but then you'll be like, oh, well, I, I yeah, I, I leak when I laugh or, you know, but that everybody does that. Um, that's, <laughs> Yeah. So that's the one that I think we all just sort of suck up and all those commercials on TV with, you know, women in their 40s, you know, sliding in their their panty liners. That doesn't help us either. But um, I think the biggest uh, misconception with that is that the Kegel is the be all end all solution for that. Hmm. And thank you, Dr. Kegel in 1940. Fine. Great. But can we please move on? Like, um in the last, I dare say, probably eight to ten years, we've we've come, I think, to a much better understanding of why women have leakage. And there was this big misconception, I think, for a very long time. And I, I think probably why I didn't enjoy working with postpartum women at the beginning of my career was if if you were postpartum, we give you kegels, you didn't get better. Sorry because that's all we had. And yeah. we assumed that it was always underactivity in postpartum. And then if you had overactivity, then you were a pelvic pain client. And typically you were in your 20s and hadn't had kids yet. And so there was this very clean kind of dichotomy here. And then I, I think it was my work with women that had pelvic pain and overactivity that were being told not to do like CrossFit and running and things like that because exercise made, you know, overactivity worse. And by overactivity, I mean muscles that are on or too tight or things like that. Then I started to realize like, okay, we can actually have these things. Like you can have overactivity and still do well in sport. And then I started to think, well, heck, are we really seeing this? Are we, is it a possibility that postpartum moms are actually having this issue? And I don't think that it has ever been more clear to me than in the pandemic. So in the first I don't know, six, eight months um, that I was doing far more telehealth, I, I have a ton of clients that I never, like they never set foot in my office. I never, I've never met them in person. And the things that we focused on with leakage and with prolapse too, were very, very simple things. One was being aware of your breath. Where were you breathing from? What was the context? Um, were you ever holding your breath? And then tension strategies. And so, you know, where do you hold your tension? Do you have a night guard, headaches, those sorts of things? Um, With the idea that if you are holding your breath, if you are upper chest breathing and it's not matching the context, um, those sorts of things that can increase that tension kind of up towards your neck and up the top of your chest, it can increase pressure downward and your brain doesn't think that's awesome. And so then it'll try and kind of bring that pressure in and potentially increase the muscle activity. And simply by addressing those two things, which again, you know, you put in the context of a pandemic with somebody stuck at home with babies or toddlers, and we're all in fight or flight, and we don't really notice it because we're all in it, like just trying to be aware of those two things, change symptoms in 99% of the patients that I used them with. And some it resolved it completely. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, just by looking at those two things, I truly honestly believe 
that in a good number of women, we are blaming the pelvic floor when the pelvic floor is kind of the scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we doing the other 19 hours a day that we are awake that's adding, you know, more work to the pelvic floor? And then when you put it in a position where it has to actually do something like the bottom of a squat or during a run and impact, it's already on, it has no more to give. Mm-hmm. And then you have leakage. Mm. And so I, th- I think really just turning this whole idea on its head that leakage is from pelvic floor damage, that leakage can only be addressed with Kegels, um, that you can't make a change. You know, if your kids are in elementary school, like all of that, we just got to throw it out the window and start over. The pelvic floor, the first time we get a chance to, to actually have a conversation about it is after you have a baby. When is the last time? Like, I can't tell you how many moms that I talked to that they had bedwetting as a kid or they remember leakage when they were a gymnast. Mm-hmm. Like, also, what are you walking in with? Like, everybody blames the kid. Everybody blames childbirth. What did you walk in the door with? Did you have hip dysplasia? Did you have back problems? Did you leak before having kids? Um, all of those things, it, 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 we want to create this story, ideally. Like, what are all the things that you walked into pregnancy with? What did pregnancy and delivery look like? Now put this all together. What are all the reasons that we think that you're having leakage? Let's start with, are the muscles working too much? Are they working too little? So we get that correct why then pick the, the, the technique that matches or, or, you know, whatever matches the why. But where we fail our moms and where I think we have for a very long time is not understanding that there was more than one why. That is so, so huge, Carrie. My goodness. I mean, really being able to look at the full person. Yes. Which is, should be a part of every... <laughs> also blasphemy. <laughs> why does it have to be so hard (laughs) (laughs) but also you are you are treating people and you said through not even seeing them in person and i think that's a different idea for people to get behind as well for pelvic floor therapy or pelvic health therapy that someone doesn't have to necessarily be inside me to create results that can Correct. really help me. So can you talk about that and and can people see you? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's one of those things I, I joke around. So with pelvic floor PT, we can do an internal exam and it's, it's my index finger. I'm like, my index finger does not make me special. Um, mm. It's my brain and being able to put this full picture together. And, and honestly, that's, that's why I'm good at my job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's actually kind of a, a big thing in, in our field right now is people are like, well, you're not truly a pelvic floor PT unless you do internal, to mm. which I say, yeah. Um, and and where we really, again, need to, to break down these walls and be like, all right, we, we need to have people that are critically thinking, that are including the whole body, that are um, looking beyond that one hole. And, you know, I know we want to throw our OBGYNs under the bus, but when we're really truly upfront with what our expectations should be for them after delivery, their job is to make sure they've got four minutes to make sure that you're not depressed, to make sure that you're not going to get pregnant again anytime soon. And that nothing really bad is happening. Like that's their job. Yeah. Um, And to have expectations for them that they would know a progression of return to run or that they would know how to accurately 
you know, explain diastasis recti and whether or not you can do A, B, and C. Like, that's too much to ask. That's not fair. Um, yeah. But we should be able to, to demand that they know to refer appropriately. That being said, are you, do you still take patients and clients? How can people find do, where I to do. see you? Um, <laughs> yeah, I do. I'm So I'm based in Arlington, Virginia. We're just a little suburb of, of DC. Um, and so I, I have a, a small just me practice. I, I work primarily with, uh, I'm like hyper niche to work with women who want to get specifically back to running CrossFit, those sorts of things that it's hard to find other people to do. Um, mm. I do see patients in person. Um, I do do out-of-state consults. Um, and then I also have a lot of free resources and things that I have online to give people more information about how they can do self-screens to get to mm. back to running. Um, also have a, um, just a, it, it's not, it's kind of a DIY course, but like to help moms if they don't have any resources near them to be able to work through a six week return to run program. So that's something that I do have available. Um, knowing that not everybody needs to be with, um, you know, a hyper-focused, hyper-managed program um, that a lot of women do want to try DIY. So, um, and then I put a ton of free education and stuff out on Instagram. I've been doing that for a good couple of years. Not not as long as you, Jen, but <laughs> getting stuff out there so that women... Um, at least have an opportunity to educate themselves. So Yeah. And I think that's huge. You bring up the DIY thing. I just, especially during pandemic time, it, it's yes. insane the amount of people that have been looking for and finding those solutions on how they can empower themselves yep. to do things in home. You hit it on the head with that, the, the breath and redirecting your attention on what might be the problem. Um, and how many people found a solution when you never even saw them in person. It just, it's starting to show us that there's a different way to do this. There's a different way to power the individual uh, to take things into their own hands. And I yep. know as providers, sometimes that that puts us down a little bit. It knocks <laughs> us off our high horse because we think that we are the one who solves things I'm for okay people. I'm okay with that. Like totally. I'm not yeah. that person that like, <laughs> honestly, my goal is that you don't need me anymore. Yep. And the only yes. thing that I ask my clients is that they pay forward what they've learned so that the next generation of women and moms um, doesn't have to mm. go through the same struggle that they did. Yeah. So, because again, that's where the revolution is going to come. It's not going to come from the medical profession down. It's going to come because women are demanding more. 100%. I love that. And so everyone should go check out Carrie. She's on Instagram at Carrie Pagliano. And also, I know you just started not too long ago, a podcast, the Active Moms Postpartum Podcast, I believe. Yes. Now, so. super exciting. Um, we're talking to moms and professionals, um, just really quick hits of sharing great information, um, vetted resources, really just sharing realistic expectations, getting back to postpartum, and then also, also moms um, sharing their journeys on, you know, how things went. And sometimes it didn't go as expected, but they learned a lot. And and again, just making sure that we're paying it forward so that um, future moms don't have to learn the same way that we did. So I'm excited about it. Amazing. Thank you, Carrie. You're doing such incredible work. I really appreciate the voice that you have in this industry. Thank you. And what you're doing to 
continue to move us forward and help so many people. We're going to have all the links in the show notes. So please, you guys go check her out and follow her, learn from her, check out her podcast. I know I'm going to be subscribing and leaving a rate and review because I'm sure it's going to be amazing. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You guys are the best. And we can't wait to see you in person again soon. Yes, definitely. I cannot wait for that. Lots of hugs. Such good information today and stuff that really we hope to get into the hands of so many others. So if you know other mothers, people who want to be mothers, please share this episode with them. And if you haven't yet, subscribe because we have so many incredible people coming up. We've interviewed so many people in the past. So I hope you go back and listen as well. And if you have questions, let us know. Leave a rate, leave a review. Tell us what else you want to learn. We want to hear from you so we continue to understand what you need and how we can help.